0: Welcome to the Sales Transformation Podcast. A couple of weeks back, I hosted a panel session, which is part of a virtual sales conference called Sales Shaker, hosted by the Portuguese business school Nova SBE. During the conference, I led a panel session and was joined by four key sales leaders: Conchalo Salazar Light of Cotec Portugal, Vitor Antune, Managing Director of Manpower Group Portugal. Hugo Marcello Nico uh, of Tabaquera, Philip Morris International Organization, and Isabel Guillero of Santander, Head of Digital Marketing Europe. Uh, We discussed embracing change and shifting to the next normal of virtual selling. It was a really insightful panel session, and uh, I hope you enjoy the perspectives from these four thought leaders. Okay, well, um, I want to welcome uh, everyone to this next uh, session we have at the Cell Shaker event. Very excited to be here. Um, The topic of this session we'll explore in a bit more detail in a a few moments. It's uh, very much about embracing change and and looking at the new new normal. Um, I just want to do a very, very brief wave, I think, from the panelists I have with me. Um, we have Marcelo. I don't know if you want to wave your hand, Marcelo. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Uh, we'll do some introductions later. We have Vito with us. Uh, Hello, good morning. Yeah, and we have Isabel well, um, from Santander. We have one panelist, sadly, who couldn't make it, Gonzalo, but uh, he'll be with us in spirit, if not, uh, if not in person. So, um, what I'd like to do is just share with you a few slides to begin with and uh, to set the scene for this session. Um, I'll talk you through the agenda um, for how we intend to run the panel session. And then we are going to um, spend time interviewing the panelists about this topic of change and, and, and so on. Um, but if I could just um, say a few words about who I am. I'm, I'm Phil Squire. I am the um, chairperson of this session, of course, and I'm also the CEO of Consalia. We're a sales business school. And um, in that capacity, we have a wide range of clients, um, ranging from the ledger sector to tech sector to finance and so on and so we've had um we've had uh, the experience of seeing how different sectors have reacted to the incredible changes that we've experienced over the last 18 months or so i wonder if you could show the slide now uh, for, for for me and in the in the back office that's great so that those are just a, a few words about who i am now what i'd like to do is just kind of talk you through um, talk you through the uh, the way we we intend to structure the the, the, the session. So here are the, the topics. We're going to do some panellist introductions. I'm going to set the scene a bit with talking about the space curve. Um, and we're then going to go into some very specific uh, questions of the panellists. We've spent some time prior to this event Uh, talking about their context, which I shall feed on as we go into the questions. So this is just very quickly the topics we're going to cover. Um, Panellists, we're going to go into introductions um, very shortly. I'm going to invite them all to say a few words about themselves, but you can see from the titles on this slide, they're representing both um, very large companies and also we have Two that are focused more in the consumer market um, and one, perhaps more focused on the business to business market. So that in itself will be, I think, quite interesting. Um, And as I mentioned before, Gonzalo sadly can't be with us. Okay, so let's uh, let's get into the meat of the topic and and, and sort of setting uh, the scene. Um, I'm, I want to sort of share with you two perspectives as I go through this uh, slide with you all. Um, one is the perspective of me as an owner of a mid-sized business. And of course we had COVID about 18 months ago, crashing into us all. Um, we had, um, very little idea in those early stages of quite the impact it's going to have on our respective organizations. And as the owner of the business, um, you know we had a huge amount of immediate disruption to how we did things. Um, we didn't know if we could continue to run our education programs, you know, for our clients. Uh, the events like this were, were weren't able to continue running face to face. We had to do an immediate, Transformation of our business into um, becoming more digital. As I am, well, I'm sure we're going to touch on this subject a bit later on. But in those early stages, and this is the S of space, we're a kind of in a survival stage. And I'm, and and this is something that we've we've talked about with a lot of our customers. We just didn't know. You know, we had to immediately look at cash flow, liquidity. How are we going to survive the short term effects of the pan. We didn't know how long this was going to last. Um, we were looking at staffing levels and one of the immediate imperatives was actually, um, stabilizing. How can we stabilize a business in a situation where there was so much change? Um, and then as we, we start to sort of deal with the immediate effects of, of, of the unknown, huge amount of internal consultation goes on, of course, inside the businesses. We then move into preserve because we sort of get worried about our client base. Now, which clients are gonna go bust? Which are gonna thrive? Which are gonna survive, you know? Um, so we move into what I call this preservation stage. And there was a, a, a huge emphasis here on, on really um, making sure that our key customers were safe, you know, that they, that they were being looked after by us as carefully as we could. Um, and it's also about our partners and about our suppliers. And at this stage, we, we're we beginning, maybe months later now, um, some months later into this, we know that there is going to be a new normal, but we have no idea what that new normal is gonna look like, yeah? We're working on the fly in the moment very, very quickly. We know we need to transform, but how? and as time goes on you know we realize this is not just a 3 month 6 month pandemic this is something that's here for us for a longer period of time we have an opportunity to kind of really think what we can call a new normal you know how are we going to change we know we need to act we know we need to act fast Um, and at this point here, you know, who do we go to, to help? You know, we can't do it on our own. Often we have to work with suppliers. We have to work with customers. And, uh, this notion here, we're probably going to gravitate to those people with whom we trust the people that we, we can work with to somehow figure out how, you know, what the new, what the new model of working is going to look like as, as we move forward. And then out of this, I think I don't know if it's human nature. We we're we're into this sort of innovation stage. You know, here's an opportunity to reinvent, um, to accelerate, to um, bring on new ideas. You know, to uh, to adapt. Uh, We still may not know quite how, but but we're in this reinvention phase and. And then, hopefully, as time goes out, we emerge stronger. Um, we probably will emerge more purposeful because I think uh, businesses are being challenged around, you know, what is their essence, what are their values, what do they stand for. And if we do um, uh, manage to emerge stronger, we're bloody grateful <laughs> you know, that we survived it. You know, it's. Uh, it's not been easy. Um, and, uh, and, and then this will then lead to enhanced performance and, and also, uh, to a degree enhanced self-esteem because there's, there's no doubt if, you know, that we, we, you know, uh, through achievement, through dealing with adversity, we can emerge stronger. Yep. Yeah. And so this, th- this, was uh, kind of a personal, chart, as an owner of a business, this is what we went through as a company, what many of our customers went through, some of them in the leisure sector are still in preserve stage here. You know, some have gone into co-create, emerge, and zipping through the pandemic very effortlessly. It's played to their strengths. They've done really well. And then Thinking about this from a seller's point of view, I'm thinking, my goodness, we had in the early stage a lot of people trying to come up with a lot of salespeople trying to sell to us solutions that absolutely were not relevant for the period of time that we were in the change curve. You know, we weren't, we just weren't ready. You know, to to take um, kind of unsolicited sales calls. No matter how how brilliant the ideas might have been, we, you know, we just weren't open at this particular stage. And so as we, as we, as I look at this chart and thinking about salesmanship and performance, it's it's a sort of looking at a combination of having the emotional intelligence to read our customers, to know what situation, situation they're in, and then adapting our sales approach accordingly um i'm an optimist uh i'm an optimist i would have to say uh i'm an entrepreneur and and so the little bit we have down at the bottom of this slide is that you know this is a unique time i mean i think many companies have sought this moment for accelerated transformation, for bringing forward ideas that they may have had much quicker than they would have done otherwise. Because I think the mindset of staff, of people, of customers is, well, we've got to change. <laughs> we've got to change. So the appetite for change and transformation, I think, is as, as, has uh, been um, accelerated, I would say, through through the pandemic. So yeah, I mean, my my personal point of view, and I'm gonna stop uh, the introduction session pretty soon, is that it's been hard, it's been tough, but um, there've been some amazing opportunities. And there's been, a, I think, quite radical rethink for many organizations with whom we work about the manner in which they need to change their sales approaches and the manner in which they need to sort of engage with their own staff to get enhanced performance. So if anyone's got any any questions, you know, on this or any observations, then then please, uh, you know, use the chat function and and um, post questions. But I, I, my, my hope is that we can move quickly on to the stars of this session, which isn't me, it's the panel. <laughs> so, um, so I don't know whether that introduction panelists might give you some food for thought, but um, uh, what I'd like to do is start off, if I could, with some introductions. And then after that, I'm going to um, ask uh, Vitor some questions. So uh, Vitor, could you just start with a brief introduction as to who you are and the company that you represent? Yes.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Phil. Uh, First and foremost, I would like to thank for the opportunity to be here. Uh, It is a very prestigious event and it's also very enlightening always to be a part of discussing sales strategy from a global standpoint and from a global perspective. So for that, uh, thank you very much for the invitation. Uh, My name is Vitor Antunes. I am the Managing Director for Manpower Portugal, which is a Manpower Group brand. uh, And Manpower is a worldwide leader in creating and delivering innovative workforce solutions.
0: Thank you. Uh, Thank you, uh, Vitor. Isabel, I wonder if I could move on to you now.
2: So hi, I'm Isabel. I'm, um, I work at Santander, which I believe that I don't need. I don't need to introduce, introduce what, is, what is Santander. Santander is one of the biggest banks in and uh, in, the, in, the, in the banking sector, and in in, in in Eurozone is probably the biggest or the second biggest. So um, I'm a board member in, in Portugal, where I lead what we call transformation. I don't call it digital transformation because now or nowadays digital is everything so it's transforming, transforming the culture, transforming the business, transforming the way we sell, the way we approach customers and then uh, and I'm also double-headed as the head of digital for Europe so at Europe we are organized region, at regional level um, working together the four countries in order to, um, to f- drive synergies and to find ways to do uh, uh, to leapfrog our competitors and to, to deliver better value to our customers by working together and finding common uh, solutions for the four countries: four countries I mean Portugal, Spain, uh, the UK, and Poland. And that's who I am. Uh, before that, I was um, I have a tech bra- background and I've been working in the bank for the last 15 years. So I, I'm a kind of a banker and a tech person, which is I think it's it, it's a, a strange CV, <laughs> but it's it's relevant nowadays for the
0: for our reality. So, so relevant. Thank you, Isabel. Yeah. And uh, last but not least, uh, Marcelo, if I could ask you to introduce yourself.
3: Yeah. Hello. Good morning to everyone. I'm delighted to be here with you. Um, I assume the leadership of Tabaqueira at the beginning of this year. Tabaqueira is the largest tobacco company here in Portugal and it's part of Philip Morris International. That is the largest tobacco company in the world. But as well, it's, it's an organization that is going through a deep transformation because while it's the biggest tobacco company in the world uh, has set a vision for, to create a smoke-free world. So uh, through science and technology, developing alternative smoke-free products, scientifically proven to be better than smoking, and we are driving this change toward towards smoke-free and leading that transformation here in Portugal. That's uh, that's brilliant.
0: So come back to each panelist, of course, in, in, in much more depth um, a bit later on. But I'd just like to start with Vitor, if you don't mind, um, with the first questions. I, you know, I think Manpower is really kind of well-placed to have seen the immediate impact of the pandemic, given the nature of the business you're in. So I wonder, Vitor, if you could just share with us, you know, what happened when the pandemic started to hit Portugal. What happened, Vitor? Well,
1: oh, um, uh, great question. What happened? Well, to be fair, I think that, um, and probably it's not, not the, the type of answer that you are expecting, but I think that nothing really changed, um, except for pace, uh, but with pace, everything else changed. Uh, so, um, I think that when we look at, um, Our type of business, we are actually both uh, a B2B and a B2C uh, company uh, in our different interactions with uh, candidates, associates and clients. Um, But but the nature of the interactions are basically quite the same. Uh, It is about understanding uh, the customer expectations. And those customer expectations, obviously, they they determine competitive levers uh, under which uh, every business uh, operates. Um, when when addressing those uh, those competitive levers, we need to work on improving them, and this this is what uh, actually was our first concern, um, because we need to imp- we needed to improve the processes that allowed our people to put up numbers and activities that guaranteed the achievement of sales results. So um, the first competitive lever uh, that was affected, I would say, was the delivery model that changed dramatically. We had uh, an immediate decrease of face-to-face interactions in a business that actually thrives and lives off face-to-face interactions. And that also affected another competitive lever, uh, which is uh, probably the most important one, I would say, uh, which is talent and the skills that are needed to perform. So in a nutshell, what changed is the way we work, the way we worked. Uh, And with that change, we embraced the fact that we actually needed uh, on a first instance, digital leaders, digital leaders that were able to focus on people, purpose and performance. So people in a sense that uh, as leaders, our job is actually to, to serve people, to improve their capabilities, to reach the purpose, which in our case is creating sustainable work. Um, and to give those people uh, the tools to improve performance. And and that that was actually the first step to restate our purpose uh, with the added value of guaranteeing that the the supply chain um, that that was going through many changes, uh, either through understanding that some sectors were still very active uh, or that there was a shift in the skills that were required that made hiring organizations look for a different combination of soft technical and technological skills. We, we heard uh, Isabel mention her uh, profile, and her profile is actually a, a quite uh, in-demand profile at the moment due to this fact that I just mentioned. The fact that we are looking for a mix of soft technical and technological skills and that this actually leads to a skills mismatch in the world of work. Second step is to invest in people. Obviously, it started with leaders, uh, but with the changes to the delivery model uh, that, as I said before, was marked by the decrease of face-to-face interactions, we actually needed to invest time in setting new target lists, target lists that were relevant for the moment, and to reskill our people to prepare them for, for a sales process that demanded even more effort in the upper part of the sales funnel. When you're looking at the sales funnel, Uh, at at this point in time, the the, the demanded effort in the upper part of it was was huge. Um, And that uh, actually caused a a change, a profound change when at the way we look at sales KPIs. Uh, It also forced us to deliver new value propositions uh, because now clients uh, had different pains that needed to be addressed differently. So we needed also to provide people with different scripts to prepare them for different sales objections um, and to prepare them also as well to operate on different channels. Then it is very important to, to invest uh, time and to invest resources as well in spending time with the salespeople mm. uh, because we need to gather feedback. We need to gather feedback to understand how we need to adapt sales force Uh, how we need to invest in different marketing activities to promote different services, uh, given the fact that we are now reaching out, that we were then, sorry, reaching out to different groups of clients uh, and placing those services through different channels and with different pricing policies as well, because obviously the constraints for consumption uh, Mm -hmm. were, were, were also very, very, very high at the moment. So then, very important to be fast to react to the fast changes. Uh, as I stated before, um, nothing changed but for pace. And, and that was actually a big change because we needed to create conditions to for our people to hit the ground running, uh, focusing on gathering data that could enable analytics and that could force uh, or help uh, good decision making. Last but not least, uh, I would say that to give talents the the wings to fly, we need to set processes that allow people, our salespeople, to take risks, to make decisions, and to learn. Um, The importance of learnability, which is the biggest predictor of employability in the future, uh, was even more stressed during uh, COVID because uh, the pace of execution again increased. And with that came new strategic choices around sales, talent, customer experience, technology, and we needed to learn uh, all of that while executing daily changes to to the world of work.
0: You said nothing much changed at the beginning, but it sounds like there's been an enormous amount of change. Forrester, the, um, the consulting firm, uh, produces uh, research uh, occasionally. And, and there, there was a quote that I remember from years ago, which said that one of the biggest frustrations for a CEO is the time it takes between strategy and execution in the field. Yeah, the, the time and, 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 and um, the, the months that it took was about 18 months. So the board of directors come up with a with a strategy that says, right, this is where we want to go. And and on average, from their research, it took 18 months for the on average for that idea to be executed through the bureaucracy of large companies, perhaps it takes time. But in this case, we haven't had the time, have we? So so this pace, so if you were looking at some of the critical skills that have been required, you know if, if you're reflecting now on on the, some of the critical skills required to achieve transformation you know through your own organization what what would you say were some of the, the critical attributes the, the you know what what what's been the magic that's enabled you to to perhaps have achieved the transformation perhaps you haven't got there quite yet but um, but what, 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 what do you reflect on now as being one of the critical factors in enabling transformation to happen at the pace that you want it to happen?
1: Well, uh, Phil, like I said before, and, and obviously now we don't have 18 months to plan ahead. So
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> basically what happened is that we were planning every day for, uh, for okay. new events that were always turning up every day. There was obviously also a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. Uh, and with uncertainty comes the, the difficult. Uh, it becomes difficult. Uh, I'm sorry, to, to plan for longer terms. Yeah, um, but to deal with that, I would say that the most important. I don't want to repeat myself, but that the most important skill is definitely learnability. Uh, learnability yeah. in the sense that um, everything changes. Customer expectations change. Uh, yeah. Their demands in terms of customer experience changes. Okay, their processes changes change. Uh, operational uh, delivery models change as well. Uh, business models also change, uh, and so with that comes the need for companies to um, constantly adapt uh, their workforce and yeah. their requirements. Um, and you have basically two choices when that happens: um, either uh, you become a very, a, a very attractive in sourcing the resources that you need, uh, yeah. the people that you need. Um, or uh, you are you become better at reskilling and upskilling your people. So what companies turn to? Uh, basically, they do four things, uh, which are the the four Bs for dealing with talent shortages. Because this is actually what it led to, uh, which is buying, buying, yeah, um, borrowing, uh, um, building, and bridging. Building in terms of uh, investing in training. Uh, but to invest in training, you need people that are actually able to, to, to understand the training and to, to yeah. put it in place. So learnability is definitely the most important skill that that anyone could have when you talk about from a soft skill perspective. Yeah. But as I mentioned before, and with the changes also to the channels that we are operating mm-hmm. under, uh, with the online being more and more present, it is critical also to have technological skills that could actually complement. So it is a difficult um, or a challenging, let's not say difficult, a very challenging profile where you need a mix of uh, creative, uh, of creativity, yeah. with uh, um, methodology, uh, with technology. So I, I would say that uh, definitely learnability is the most important skill yeah. because it helps you to get all the others.
0: Yeah. You may have come across Carol Dweck and and uh, the whole uh, growth mindset uh, that she's coined, which uh, I think is very, very interesting. Uh, Vitor, thank you very, very much. I'm going to move on now, if I could, um, to 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 Marcelo and 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 uh, Marcelo just, you know, it's been very interesting, so interesting actually getting to know um your organization a bit more as a consequence of the panel discussions. And I think you mentioned it in your introduction. You're going, you were already going through an incredible transformation into this smoke-free environment. And then we had which which is extraordinary when we start to see um how the performance of the organization has changed in realizing that goal over the years. And then we, of course, we have the pandemic as an extra layer of transformation on top of a transformation that's going on already. So Marcelli, could you just talk us through, you know, how how your organization has coped with the degree of change taking place? And
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think that one... Um, umbrella to, to all of these changes what's the purpose? What's the purpose of the organization? Uh, what you are trying to achieve for your organization and for the sales forces as well. So what's what's that vision that is set by by the organization? And then change happen inside. Change happened for many reasons. And we have a drastic change with a fast pace of, of change happening because of the pandemic. But change happened across but The main thing is to have a clear purpose, a clear vision. In the case of of PMI, it was in 2016 that our CEO set the new vision for the organization and and clearly said, uh, we are going for a smoke-free world. We have developed through science and technology alternative products that are scientifically proven to be better uh, than continue to smoke. uh, And we are going to to pursue that aim. But imagine, this is coming from a tobacco company that at the time was selling 800 billion cigarettes. And our CEO was saying cigarettes will become obsolete. So imagine the amount of change uh, that that was driving within within the organization. And and it was a vision that actually when I look at it five years down the line, it it, it had proven to to work. 25% of our net revenues on PMI are coming from smoke-free products. And by 2025, we expect that to be 50% of the net revenues of, of the organization. Um, and, and that those products are better is not just say that our CEO, uh, the science behind, behind these alternatives, uh, the Food and Drug Administration in the in the US just approved the commercialization of ICOs because uh helps uh, public health. So there's this a big game. Uh, there's a higher purpose of, of our uh, commercial team driving towards creating a smoke-free world. When the pandemic hit, clearly our frontliners that were working with retailers and with consumers needed to work remotely, so from that face-to-face interaction that Vitor was talking, uh, we needed to work from home, so there was a massive acceleration of the the digital tools and the digital skills that were referred both by by Isabel and and Vitor, Uh, and not only on our field forces, but because our products are sold through retailers as well, we need to take care of that work with the thousands of retailers as well. So, uh, for example, we have a web platform through which we communicate with retailers, we train retailers, uh, where we do e-ordering, But as well now we started to do even some traditional sales force activity like merchandising, point of sale materials placement and visibility, being done by the retailer itself through our training and, and, and education, but as well by rewarding uh, their performance digitally, so uh, proof of performance and, and and reward. I think on this to go through transformation, the big one that our industry is going to uh, and leading, but as well the ones that are coming in, in, in this example from the pandemic, there's two big elements. One is this purpose, but the second one as well is how consistent the organization is towards the vision. So for our uh, same employees and workforce, they need to see that we uh, walk the talk, but also all the elements of sustainability. What is the impact of this organization uh, in society? What is the impact of this organization on the use of resources as well? And I think this element, combined with um, how we work with our employees, so uh, gender balance. So for example, Tabaqueira is the first organization in Portugal to be certified equal salary. So male and females are paid the same uh, amount for the same uh, type of shop with, with the same performance, for example. Or what I was surprised when I joined Tabakera at the beginning of the year coming from another PMI affiliate is our factory in Sintra is from 1962. So it was, was from the government, then was privatized. Uh, the factory increased the exports last year, so with a record of export and increased by 300 employees Tavaquera in total on the last three years. But actually is the third, uh, affiliating the factory in PMI to be certified carbon neutral. The factory in Sintra is carbon neutral. We have reduced by 70% the CO2 emissions from 2010 uh, till now, and was as well the first factory to be awarded for the use of, uh, of water. And while these things seem not that much related, uh, but to be resilience and, and believe in the organization and have drive from the commercial forces, that purpose needs to be clear and the behavior of the organization at large as well uh, needs to be uh, consistent. And and that is what helps as well, our field forces and our trade partners to support the journey even in front of the adversities that we were facing in the last 18 months. Mm-hmm. I don't think we are going to go back to the way we were working before. Uh, this digitalization, this transformation is actually uh, happening on the ways uh, we work. For example, our offices in as where we just re- restructure them to be more of a creative collaborative space and, and employees will have the flexibility to work either from home or from the office with, with, with a mix, in a mixed way. There's a massive transformation that is happening and it's here to stay clear. Mm.
0: Really inter- Have you seen any attitudes towards your products from consumers as a consequence of the pandemic? Have you seen an upturn in, in business in any way? Um, um, because I think with the, it, with the, uh, and certainly with your purpose and with your vision, which I know a lot of your selling activity is around advisory services isn't it through your you know through your outlets through your channels that you run yourself H- have you seen that, that the pandemic has helped or or hindered you know you in that sort of objective
3: on this i will be i will be uh, paraphrasing victor like right? the business continues right it just continues in a in a different form yeah. we we when we talk, we talk only to adult smokers, so our products are, are better alternative, smoke-free products, but no. uh, are not risk-free. So we just commercialize and communicate these products yes. to adult smokers that otherwise will smoke, and we do it through retailers, through our consult. Yeah. Cons- when you talk to consultants, because we win a person from a smoking. To stop smoking by switching to an alternative product is a journey, actually. So... We were supporting them physically. Uh, we need to do it remotely now. It's a mix. But for example, we needed to close our uh, direct retail spaces, and and that was was digital. Now uh, they came back in terms of impact on the business. Actually, it was just an adapting on the way of working, but uh, the business just continued. There was not acceleration or or a slowdown okay. uh, on consumers
0: that's uh, that's really um really interesting to hear okay lovely thank you very much uh, for that and and i think this topic of resilience that you mentioned and you linked it back to um purpose um which is a a very in, you know interesting uh theme we 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 had someone on on a on a podcast recently, a doctor who studied resilience in, in slightly deprived children, and they did a study in Hawaii of 800 children from deprived backgrounds, and so a third of them succeeded in life, a third of them stayed roughly the same, and a third of them went backwards. And um, the conclusions from this study was, was the importance of purpose in lives and which led to resilience. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's very interesting that you should uh, talk about um, the importance of purpose. Um, Brilliant. Um, Isabel, can I I move on to you now? Um, I would imagine that consumers still need money, no matter whether there's a pandemic or not. Um, But uh, how how has Santander seen the pandemic hit the organization and perhaps you could describe it from a consumer point of view first and then perhaps we can explore the topic from a sales approach um uh after afterwards
2: from a um as um as a, a consumer myself uh and and um, i think that, uh, a privileged observer of what happened i think that uh what the pandemic brought is it's just Fast paces, pace something that we knew that would happen. We were expecting to happen in the next five years, and probably it happened in less than in eighteen months. What we were expecting to happen in the next and uh, in the next five years, and it happened in many things, in consumer behaviors, in tech adoption, and actually us as an industry moving into, uh, for example, cloud uh, public cloud uh, adoption, and so many other things that, in a sense, we felt we were. A bit lagging behind. So that's that's what I, I believe that the, the, the pandemic just opened. It was eye opening in many in in many ways for our employees, for our customers, and and, and for, uh, for 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 everyone. I, I believe so. In the first moments of the pandemic, what we want, wanted to have is to guarantee that our people and our, and our customers were safe and they were able to still uh, reach out to their money and buy products and, and take decisions, especially that they were closed at home so what what, what have, you, have, have we seen in terms of employee or in, in employees? Mindset change and also on consumers. So on employees, I can give you an example. I was um, advocating for a long time for using, for example, Office 365 tools, especially teams, and to collaborate more and avoid uh, travels and and and, and then face to face meetings when for example, a team's meeting could solve some of the issues and everyone had access to to some of the tools office 365, but they were like not the the pace of adoption was really uh in my opinion a bit slower than I would like but suddenly uh, everyone from everywhere was using and knowing how to do it and and really um increasing the speed. Some of our colleagues on the panel, they mentioned this, that speed was one of the issues. And actually, you also said that. Uh, it was one of my biggest frustration, and it still is. We do not, we weren't move, moving fast enough. And I think that the, the, the pandemic unleashed that possibility. Mm-hmm. On consumers, what we've seen is first, um, much more, uh, digital customers so customers that probably were the, the laggards on digital adoption like using digital channels bit because it wasn't they, they had branches and it was convenient they had ATMs so they were uh delaying the adoption and suddenly they they did it so you have more customers you have using our digital channels you have more customers transacting on on our digital set channels and actually what i've seen is that in a Portugal, as you might know, is as as one of the biggest um, ATM network in the world. So probably uh, th- that would be a reason why digital payments or digital wasn't uh, for at least for transaction wasn't that um, uh, used. And suddenly, given that you were locked at ha- at home, you, you started to use digital for everything, including digital payments. And I, I thought that what happened after uh, when, when we, after the lockdown Mm -hmm. and though some people got back to their, uh, previous habits, but no, no, it's not the same Uh, many people uh, understood that it's so convenient that they are using. So you have more digital customers, more, more intense users. And more than that, now you're seeing that people that before that they were a bit afraid of adopting, for example, e-commerce uh, and and buying online everything, be it retail, being, be it financial service, and suddenly they were using it. And as you might know, the, the pandemic, uh, in the, the savings, they increased a lot. So we've seen a peak on savings and the uh, buying financial products through digital channels. We already had the journeys, but uh, we uh, were assisting like, early adopters and not majority of people, mm-hmm. and now we're starting to see that probably that something that already happened in retail or already happened in some of the countries, and here it wasn't happening as fast as we thought. For example, in Spain, the similar experience. UK was 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 faster because the country in itself it was well, more developed on that on on that sense. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was really surprised on the on the on the on the speed of adoption that's i think that the main message is that people get rid of some of their fears and they they jump in and i don't believe that they're going back
0: so do you do you have a concern that the without the um from, from a selling point of view now you know from a selling point of view um that because you don't have that interaction so much at a personal level with customers it's digital um, that you may potentially miss out on the opportunity for cross-selling, um, for upselling, or whatever it might be. That you're missing that uh, sort of personal connection, which is often quite important for selling.
2: Phil, well, I think that personal. Uh, you have to have an omni-channel approach. I don't think that uh, we are ready for a full digital approach. I think that we have to have in some products on simple products, digital would will be the answer, but in some levels yeah. uh, and actually I, I i i had i we, we ran a survey and uh, i interviewed several cost, many customers uh, yeah. not hundreds but at least tens of customers and i understood that in in their journeys uh, at least on the most complex ones they always wanted to have someone a human Thank on you. their interaction yeah and i understand for from a cross-selling perspective you need to excel much better on your journeys, given that part of your interaction won't be done uh, uh, using the, by having the help of, of of a human being. So I think it it's, it it makes it even more come uh, make mix everything. Um, you you need to be much simpler, and by being much simpler, it's. A- way uh, more, much more complex. But I think that we will, we will do it. It's, it's not as uh, you, data, we are a very rich industry in terms of, uh, our environment is a very rich data environment. And I think that by leveraging data, we will be able to uh, to solve some of the, The issues that might arise by not having uh, a human being, but I believe I'm not a believer that uh, digital will replace everything, and I think that uh, we will keep uh, bankers are here now, and we'll keep they'll be here
0: in the future. In
2: the future,
0: yes. Well, I started my career in banking, so so um quite nice to hear you say there's a future in banking. I, I have an affinity with the sector. But can I, um, Gonzalo's not with us, but Gonzalo on our prep call, is, as uh, Vitor may recall particularly, he talked about this notion of relationship capital and in connection with with um, customers. So I, I'm, I, this is a, an open question to all of my, my panelists here, so to answer as you see fit. Do you believe, as a consequence of the pandemic, that the, the, the relationship capital has improved or decreased as a consequence of the pandemic?
3: If I may? Um, yeah. I think
1: there are actually two sides uh, to, okay. to that. I think that uh, one, um, it naturally decreased in the beginning, but with that decrease, the importance of it and the impact of it actually increased dramatically. So um, I think that um, for as long as we have um, human beings uh, making consumption decisions, um, the human skills uh, are actually the ones that are always going to make a difference. Yeah. And more and more, and, and like like Isabel mentioned, and I'm sure that also in, in, in Marcelo's case, it is the same as well more and more uh, the the human interaction uh, is um, is seen as positive impactful and value adding uh, for for other humans right. this does not mean that uh, digital is not important or that there is not a place for digital i think that um, on the other hand what it means is that uh, we can walk hand in hand and use digital and technology to enhance our human skills and our capability to interact with each other. Um, so I think that um, relationship capital uh, is definitely more and more uh, a decisive skill, uh, a key uh, success factor in, in every business. Um, I
2: agree with Victor. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Marcela. I don't know if I agree with Victor. I think that uh, actually, I think that the relationship capital, it increased. By with the pandemic, because people understood that we we must live together and we must work together um, into this into a common goal. And actually, uh, having uh, the vaccines so early, it's it's a proof of 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 the importance of relationships and working together. But uh, I think that what and uh, what I what we've seen and actually, I believe that we've proved is that digital could it's an ally. For, for the human be- for, for humans because you can get rid of um, uh, um, tasks that aren't, aren't relevant uh, to l- tasks that are um, they don't have high value, they have lower value and you release people release your, your, your people to high value uh, tasks in which in my opinion part of them will be uh, relationship uh, related.
0: Okay. Um, Mar- Marcelo, I wonder if I could ask you to uh, comment.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I agree with both things that were said. I think that this uh, relationship capital actually was needed more than ever due to the pandemic and the uncertainties that are related to that, right? So you, you want to be close as much as you can as the people that, that you know, you feel yeah. comfort, right? And, and And that relationship with your... Partners with your clients, that's that's a fundamental one. Uh, the beauty of the current situation is that it's complemented by, as Isabel was saying, technology and digitalization. So the less added value activities can be digitalized, and 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 we as well saw that that shift from not using 360 or Teams to use it, maybe overusing currently, so we are balancing it back. But it's an, even in the relationship with uh, our trade partners, for example. Uh, I was mentioning how some of the basic activities of merchandising visibility that was yeah. u- requiring a lot of time of the field force drive over there, park, get there, and and do it. Now we ship to retailers; they do it for us, and we reward them for it. And the time of our field forces, when it's presential, is precious, and they are using it on on that build relationship. And it's what we are calling uh, liquid workforces, right? So I have a, but it it goes with what Peter said. You need to prepare. You need to upskill. Our field forces um, to be able to work digitally and and physically and to work in more than one channel at a time. We are we are doing it currently, but it's giving us an an, an advantage. We are able to uh, work better with the trade partners, and we are always as well with the same forces to reach more than we were able to do it before.
0: So uh, yes, I think a, a common theme for, for from all of you is is is. Um, is, is a coexistence of digital selling plus the human interaction. I must admit, I'm slightly concerned about the, um, particularly in a B2B environment, and it, it might be not so much in B2C, but you could tell me if I'm wrong in this, is, is the creativity that you get from being with people in a face-to-face selling situation. And it's, it's, it's the same with people coming into the office, isn't it? You know, you. know you can work in COVID, you know, on Teams, on Zoom, or whatever it might be. And it can be more productive, of course, in there's certain tasks you can do. But I'm, what concerns me, you know, is, is that spark of creativity that you undoubtedly get when, you, when you're together with people, you know, the conversations you have over making coffee, or whatever it might be. And you can't, you know, it's so important to me, and I'm slightly concerned that, um, but I see it as an opportunity as well. Of course, is is that if you don't still have that space to do that kind of uh, have that interaction, you will lose out. A client of ours recently did a did a survey of customers who had had not renewed their subscriptions. Um, they were a printing company. And uh, they did a survey and what came out of the survey they interviewed uh, 150 or so customers. This is not a huge, huge survey, but it was quite interesting. And they interviewed the customers about why did you stop? um, Why did you stop your contracts with us? You know, the uh, percentage of them had gone bust. Yeah, they were no longer customers. Uh, But by far, the biggest um, reason why they left was due to complacency. And you could argue that perhaps they didn't use technology to keep, you know, the brand in front of the customer more. But um, um, it came to them as a rather big shock. You know, it's inexcusable, I think, that you lose customers because of complacency in in, in my view. But it just shows that those organizations who are smart in the way of directing the sales force, like you were saying, upskilling the sales force as well, um sort of managing the resources in a good way to manage the territory of customers that they've got channel partners that they've got are going to be the winners Phil, just to to, come yes. to this part that, that you just mentioned i think that um work,
1: working together and collaborating is all about being able to establish connections uh to, yeah. to, connect, to, to connect with each other when when you're within a, a sales environment yes. or a- the sales opportunity, the importance of connection is very much uh, key, I think, to determining if if you're going to get success or not. I think that with this new uh, delivery channel, I call it a delivery channel, uh, but I'm talking basically about Zooms, Teams uh, and these tools that we are using today. I think we have a huge opportunity to understand how we can improve our power to connect with these tools to connect with each other yes. with and with these tools. And every time that we improve in doing it, and uh, that we obtain success in doing it, uh, we are actually gaining uh, the opportunity to increase the number of interactions that we have with each other because yeah. the, the useful time um, or, or the playing time, if we were discussing sports, the playing time yes. would be increased. Yeah, yeah. We, have, uh, we don't have traveling. Uh, we don't have traffic, we don't have things like that that actually consume a lot of time from us. Yes. Um, and, and we we will be able, if we can improve our power to connect through this yeah. to we'll be able to increase the number of, yeah. of interactions. And that will have a very positive impact on our business uh, as a whole, because yeah. also uh, the sales transactions will uh, naturally uh, increase as well. So yeah. I think that there is actually uh, you mentioned in the beginning you, you are uh, an optimist. Uh, yes. also, I am also very much an optimist, and I, I believe that there is a huge opportunity for, for increasing uh, results in this new way yes. of without losing the importance uh, of relationship capital.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that um, uh, there's a professor at London Business School. His name is Julian um, Birkenshaw, and uh, professor of entrepreneurship and strategy, I think, and um, it, you can Google him. And he's got, there's a very interesting talk that he gives about different eras and what are the sources of competitive advantage in the different eras. And he talked about the industrial era, talked about the knowledge era, um, and 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 he. This is pre COVID. Okay, this is pre COVID and he came up with this notion of what's going to happen because we're in the knowledge era. You know, information is ubiquitous. Digital technology gives us so much data information. You know, Isabel was saying you're a data rich. You know, you've got so much information about consumer buying behavior and so on. Um, But he was saying that what's going to be your source of competitive advantage when the knowledge era stops? Uh, So his notion was an era always has a beginning and an end. And companies have got to find their source of competitive advantage in these areas. So in the knowledge era, in, in, the, in the industrial era, it was all about processes, lean, uh, Six Sigma, all of that sort of stuff. In the knowledge era, it's about expertise, knowledge, information, insight. But when everyone's doing it, What's your source of competitive advantage? And he came up with the post knowledge era. Very creative word. <laughs> this is the era, but I think it's very relevant for today. And he was. It, it, this is his theory. It's not been researched, you know, hugely, but I. I, I think uh, we could relate to it. He says there are two sources of competitive advantage, in his view, in the post knowledge era, which he was suggesting we're entering today. One was the word adhocracy, and ad hocracy is the agility. is the ability to move quickly. Yeah, and we've talked about that. Pace of change, how quickly. And the other word he used is democracy, And that's an interesting word because he said, he felt that in the digitalization of everything, we're going to lose the human touch. Yeah, the human connection. And he felt the companies that would survive in the future are those through whatever means at their disposal is able to bring the emotional attachment of their brand to their consumers. And it's so interesting to hear what Marcelo was talking about earlier. You know, people buying into the purpose. And I have to say, I'm staggered at the improvement in share price in in Philip Morris, you know, over the years. Obviously, it's a strategy that, but you know, had little. Um, you know, I, I don't know what the expectations were at the very beginning. Could you do it? But you are doing it, <laughs> and the share price is, is reflecting accordingly. But I was interested in this notion of democracy and ad hocracy. I don't know if you've got a comment about that, uh, Isabel, Marcelo, Vitor. Whether you think that kind of does that does that sound interesting for you, or do you think it's uh, it's, so, it's academic uh, bullshit or whatever you'd like to call it
2: <laughs> yeah um um some some words are a bit like buzzwords that everything everyone goes on this, on that direction yeah. but i believe that younger generations um they want to work and they want to use brands to work with to, to to companies and use brands that they feel they have a purpose. I yeah. think that um it's no BS. It's it's really relevant. Um yes. so uh and um actually one of the ways to attract talent is when you more than selling them a salary, you tell you you create a purpose around working with with the, in yeah. in this company. So yes I do believe um Though it, it uh it's a bit fluffy, I do believe that this is um, the post knowledge era where um, brands need to uh, create um, their brand value depends heavily on how they they behave, not only yeah. from a financial perspective, but also from a, uh, the social impact they have. Yeah, you know the ESG. Um, uh bet is is, is really important and, and I think that at least for the younger generations, uh, the ones that are on 10, 20s, 30s, and even the youngest, this is absolutely fundamental. And brands that do not do not recognize the relevance of this, that just focus on on the financial impact of their of their company, they 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 want, they will have, they will struggle. That's my view. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's I don't know about the others, whether you'd want to comment on that. I know we've got two minutes left or so, or a minute and a half left of the session to go. But um, uh, yeah, any, any any further thoughts to add, Vito?
1: Well, I would say that uh, definitely uh, adocracy, and let's call
0: it agility. Agility, yeah. <laughs> let's call it agility.
1: <laughs> it's definitely very important, and it becomes even more important when you are uh, competing in highly competitive environments. Yeah. Um, so um, that that's that's definitely key. It's been key for uh, a long time, and it will remain key because there is always room for improvement uh, in the future. Um, in terms of democracy, uh, I would say that the, that that, like I said before, is what always makes the difference when you are yeah. selling when you are buying. So uh, uh, I definitely completely buy into both of those buzzwords.
0: <laughs> uh. <laughs> Take a look at Julian Berkenshaw. It's really He's a he's a great talker as well. Marcelo, if you want to add any more comments to that,
3: no, I just agree. I just agree with, you, with both. And 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 actually, I, I have seen it as well on, on the Oh, have right you? Oh, great. No, yeah. well, the thing is, what Isabel was referring, right? When we change the when you think on employability in a tobacco company, it's, there's yeah. always a, a challenge, right? And it used yes. to be. And it continues to be but when you explain what we are trying to do and the people interact with us then yeah. it significantly changed the kind of talents that are yeah. working for us so i can absolutely tell you i have experienced that
0: so okay i think we've we've come to the end of our session thank you so much um it's been a delight to to work with you and uh, thank you Sal shaker for uh, enabling this session to happen so thank you very much So what's your selling approach like? Are you selling in a way that your customers want to be sold to? From our research, only 10% of salespeople sell in a way that customers want. But what do customers want when they're being sold to? It's no secret that here at Consalia, we've embedded the sales values and mindsets that customers want to see in salespeople into everything we do, from our sales business school through to our sales transformation offering. So how do you know whether or not you've got them? We have a very simple mindset survey to see if you possess these key values. It's really straightforward to use. It will only take a few minutes to complete and you'll be sent your results straight after. You may be just a bit surprised at the results yourself.